0: Good morning. Happy Easter to you. Let me tell you this morning that the Lord is risen. This is Martin Striggler. I'm the pastor of the Melbourne Evangelical Free Church coming to you again from Salt Gap, Texas. I hope this beautiful Easter morning finds you safe and healthy Uh, Not only are we still dealing with the coronaviruses, but also we had a storm come through this morning that kind of stirred things up a bit. I know here where I live, I had a little over an inch of rain, pretty good amount of wind and some pea-sized hail. And as most of you probably were, we were under a tornado warning, but thank goodness that never materialized. And praise God for that. Praise God for the rain that fell and that we didn't have any Large, large hail or uh, damaging wind. I guess this is the first time ever in my 55 years that uh, I'm not going to be in church on Easter Sunday, and uh, that that's kind of hard because this time being Easter as. As families, we like to be together and spend Easter together, and as church families, we like to be together, but that is kind of a difficult thing to do right now. But let me encourage you to stay stay firm in your faith. Don't lose confidence. Trust in the Lord, because I promise you He is still in control, and there is something going to transpire from this. I don't know what. But uh, I, I guarantee you, God will use it for something. And let me also tell you that uh, as, as we deal with the situation that we deal with, to just stay safe. I know it's hard, and, and especially when special holidays come around, but uh, it's just imperative that, that we do that right now. Uh, I want to bring a message to you this morning. This message is going to come from the 27th chapter of Matthew, and we're going to spill over into the 28th chapter as well. So be getting your Bible and be turning to Matthew, the 27th chapter, and we're going to begin reading here in verse 62. Uh, I know uh, I used to... Several years ago, I'd ask an old rancher when it was going to rain again, and he would say, "Well, we're a day closer and I was visiting with a pastor friend of mine this past week, and i uh, I had had some plans to do some things at our church in Melvin, and I just couldn't get comfortable with it, and I had to cancel it off and then as I was visiting with this pastor friend of mine, I said, "Well, I hope." One of these days we're going to get back to a certain degree of normalcy and he said, well I can tell you we're a day closer so uh, we're, we're we're going to come through this some way somehow and uh, we just got to trust in the Lord and keep our faith Now I want you to uh, be looking in the Matthew the 27th chapter we're going to begin reading in verse 62. The Bible says, Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver talking about Jesus said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher or the tomb be made sure or secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last arrow, error or the last deception shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch or a guard. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can or as secure as you can. So they went and they made the sepulchre sure or secure sealing the stone and setting a watch or putting a guard there. In the end of the Sabbath or after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone for the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment or his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers or the guards did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. But here's the good news. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' words. Now, as we scrutinize this text this morning, it says the next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered them. He said, Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and and to make the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, the Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men and the angel the, the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. He is not here. He is risen. That's what I want to visit with you about today. He is risen. You see, the cross was empty." And the tomb is now empty because he is risen. You see, the religious leaders took Jesus' resurrection claim more seriously than the disciples did. The disciples didn't remember Jesus' teaching about his resurrection. You find that in Matthew the twentieth chapter, verses seventeen through nineteen. But the religious re- leaders they remembered and they took steps they thought would prevent or at least a fabrication of it because of his claims. They were almost as afraid of Jesus after his death as when he was alive. So what they were trying to do was take every precaution so that his body would remain in the tomb because the tomb was hewn out of rock in the side of a hill. There was only one entrance. So the tomb was sealed by stringing the cord across the stone that was rolled back over the the entrance, and the cord was sealed at each end with clay. But the religious leaders took a further precaution. They had asked Pilate that guards be placed at the tomb's entrance. So the Pharisees failed to understand one very vital, important fact, and that was that no rock, no seal, no guard, no army could prevent the Son of God from rising again. In the most powerful words Jesus ever spoke, he said this, and I want to share this with you this morning. You find this in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, verses 17 and 18. Jesus speaking, therefore, doeth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power, to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, Jesus' death and resurrection is part of God's plan for salvation of the world. We're under God's full control. And I want you to understand that completely today. No one could kill Jesus without his consent you know there's been a lot of false christ and there's been a lot of false messiahs that have been making that claim for thousands of years but they're still in the ground to this very day you can go to their tombs and 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 their shrines and you can see where they lay but only jesus had the power to take his life and to raise it up again he is risen He alone is the resurrection and the life. But what does that really mean? I mean, so Jesus is risen. So what? Does does it really make any difference? Does it really matter? Is it all that important? Now, those might sound like worn out questions, but they're not. They're, They're enormous questions with huge implications for our lives. And I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to be with you this morning to worship a risen Savior, even if it is sitting in our own homes. And I really don't want to waste a bunch of time this morning with a clever servant that would try to sneak something up on you or offer you up some useless commonplace remarks that only marginalize the significance of Easter and the resurrection. Instead, I'd like to get right to the point by making two simple observations from our text and follow that up with what it means for you and for me. You know, people will go to great lengths to keep from being persuaded of something they don't want to believe. Once Jesus was in the tomb, The religious leaders knew how damaging it would be for rumors of a resurrected Jesus to spread around. He had predicted his resurrection throughout his ministry, but of course, they didn't believe it was any more possible that he was the Savior or the Messiah than I believe you to be. In their minds, Jesus was simply a blasphemer. He was a slap in the face of God and and all the Jews, so there was no way on God's earth that this man was going to do anything other than rot in the grave and quickly fade from the minds of the people that were gullible enough to follow him, but what they did believe to be possible was for Jesus's disciples to plot and carry out the theft of Jesus's body, so it would be possible to spread rumors of a supposed resurrection, even though in their minds it couldn't possibly happen, rumors that it would be just as bad. So they went to Pilate, they pressed him to assign Roman soldiers to guard the tomb to prevent anything from happening until after the third day. You can see the fear they had of anyone claiming Jesus was raised. This deception that Jesus was raised would be worse than the first deception that Jesus could be raised. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm the 14th chapter, verse 1, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. The fool also says in his heart that Jesus isn't the Savior or Jesus isn't the Son of God or Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, or that Jesus never lived in the first place. The fool says that Jesus was just a man, or Jesus was just a good man, or a good prophet, or a good teacher, or a great spiritual leader, but not the Son of God, and certainly not the only way to eternal life. But that's a fool. Those aren't my words. They're the words of God. You find that, as I said, in Psalm 14.1. denying the reality of the resurrection doesn't make it any less true. You know, the Old Testament foretold it. Jesus foretold it. Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb. That, that was easy to find appeared 3 days later with a physical body. The Bible tells us that he was seen by more than 500 people. The gospels were written only a few years later and confirmed it. The resurrection is is celebrated in the earliest churches. You know, the the most bitter enemies of Jesus confirmed it and the lives of his disciples were transformed by it. There is so much evidence testifying to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's almost ridiculous, and yet still people can't believe it. In our text, we find men who talked with Jesus. They listened to Jesus talk about his coming death, about his burial, about his resurrection, and saw the miracles that he performed, and all they could do is plot against a possible body snatch. They didn't want to believe, and regardless of 2,000 years of evidence and scholarships and life transformation, men today still will go to great lengths to keep from being persuaded of something they don't want to believe. But here's the great news. God's plans aren't bothered by the ignorance of man. What it must have been like that morning of that third day. Oh, I'd love to been a fly on the wall. I would have loved to been hiding in the brush by the tomb. You know, God's not asking me, but, but if he ever wanted to know what I want in heaven, my answer is going to be a instant replay of what transpired that third morning there at the tomb. Because the Bible says that on that morning of the third day, there was a violent earthquake as the Lord's angel came from heaven and rolled back the stone. Can you imagine those Roman soldiers posted at that tomb? I mean, think about it. What were they going to do? This was the God that spoke the world into existence. The God who scraped up a handful of dirt and breathed life into it. This was the God that parted seas and rivers, the God that made water flow from the rocks, the God that turned a woman into a pile of salt and brought a giant of a man to his knees before a young shepherd boy. This was the God that swallowed a man for three days in a fish's belly and the same God that allowed that man to live. This is the God that persevered and preserved an old prophet in a lion's den and the same God that swallowed swallowed up naysayers in the ground. I know they didn't believe any of that, but what were they going to do if it was? We know what they did do. They fainted on the spot and probably needed to change their shorts, if I was guessing. The angel's message to the women that day was the greatest news they'd ever hear. I know you're looking for Jesus, but he's not here. Why? Because he is risen. Listen, God's plans aren't bothered by what men or demons might do. He is sovereign. He is omnipotent, which means he is all-knowing and uh, omnipotent, which is all-powerful. They could have posted ten thousands of guards that weekend, but that grave was still going to open because there was a Savior coming out of that tomb. I just want you to think about this for a minute. Have you ever taken the time to think that the entire Old Testament is Satan's attempt to prevent the birth of the Savior and the story of how God wasn't bothered by it? You know, God promised a Savior and Satan killed Abel. So what did God do? He provided a Seth, And the story goes on and on and on. Jesus is born of a virgin and King Herod tries to kill him. Jesus sets his path to the cross and Satan tries to Tempt him. Jesus is pouring his heart out in the garden and Judas betrays him, but none of it mattered. Jesus came to earth for those very things to be born of a virgin, live in victory over sin, die a cruel sacrificial death for you and for me, and finally be raised from the dead that Sunday morning long ago. If you think the guards got a surprise, I wonder what Satan got out of this deal. So now I have to go back to my initial question. So what? I mean, so Jesus is risen. So what? Does it really make any difference? The answer is yes. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes a huge difference. The fact that Jesus is risen and that he is alive and well today has some important implications for you as well as for me. Because the resurrection is vitally important and the key to the Christian faith. I mean, the whole Christian faith foundation is built upon Jesus dying on that cross and and rising from, from that tomb. And why is that so important? Well, first of all, Jesus kept his promise to rise from the dead. So we can believe he will keep all his promises. The resurrection ensures that the ruler of God's eternal kingdom will be the living Christ. Not just an idea, not a hope or a dream. We can be certain of our resurrection because he was resurrected. In other words, death is not the end. There's a future life. The power of God that brought Christ's body back from the dead is available to us to bring our morally and spiritually dead selves back to life so we can change and grow. The resurrection provides the substance of the church's witness to the world. We don't merely tell lessons from the life of a good teacher. We proclaim the reality of a resurrected Jesus Christ. That's how important it is for each one of each one of us. And I just want to give you three examples of that. First off, if the claim that Jesus made about rising from the grave is true, then we are compelled to believe that everything else he ever said is absolutely true, too. He said we must be born again. He said that no man comes to the Father except through him. He said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He said that one day he will return again. And the question is, will he find faith? This means that everything Jesus said about salvation is true. Everything he has said about heaven and hell and the coming judgment is true. Everything he said about being right related to God is true. Everything he declared about loving others and being the church and his expectation for us are true. It means that everything he declared about himself is true. He is the son of God, the son of man, the light of the world, the one and the only, the bread of life and the living water. If everything Jesus said is true, then there are no other ways. There is no second chance after death. Your good deeds can't outweigh your bad ones. And he's not worried about whom you might impress here on earth. You know, here a couple of weeks ago, when I started this podcast, my first sermon that that I preached uh, uh, to a computer was, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Well, I want to ask you that same question this morning. What are you going to do about this Jesus guy? Because this is one thing you can't remain neutral about. Of all the decisions that we are faced with that we have to make while we're alive on this earth, this is by far the most important decision. You either choose to accept him and live for him and be a part of his team, or you reject him, and you turn your back on him, and you work against him. So that is what th- the reason this is so important for each one of us today. What are you going to do about this Jesus guy? What are you going to do? The second thing I want to tell you, if everything Jesus said is true, then we need to be very careful how we respond to him. Now, I mean this on at least two levels. As the risen Savior, Jesus is also the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Bible declares him to be the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the coming King and Judge. People just flippantly toss the name of Jesus around like it's nothing. And Jesus gives us the freedom to do that. I just say to you that if Jesus is still on trial in your heart and mind, that is if you're still undecided about whether he is what the Bible claims and you've never given your life to Christ, be very careful about what you do with that freedom because there are only two possible destinations after this life and there's only one way to the one you want. Deny the lordship of Christ all you w- want to. It doesn't make any any of this less true. It doesn't make any of this less sure. Those of us who are believers, people who have been redeemed, we need to be careful also how we respond to him. Jesus <coughs> isn't impressed in our religious game. Are we living for him like we ought to, or are we following from afar? Jesus made a statement. You find this in Luke 18, verse 8. And you and I need to think about what he said. Listen, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus wasn't questioning whether he'd find the faith or people saved by faith. The question was whether Jesus would find us living by faith. Would he find people living what they claim to believe, I pray my life lives up to the holy expectations of a righteous God. You know, Jesus' question probably indicates that as the time for his return draws near, evil will become so dominant that many in the church will fall away from the kind of faith that perseveres. As we approach History's end, the question for each believer is, am I persevering in faith, continuing in my prayer, calling on God, studying his word, or am I so preoccupied with this life that I am not looking forward to Christ's return and his eternal kingdom? My daughter's telling me I'm, I'm running low on time here, so I've got to move along. The third thing that I want to tell you, if Jesus is the risen Savior, then we of all people ought to be the most joyous people on the planet. Have you ever really listened to the words of the great old hymns? Some of the songs that we probably would have sang today if we would have been congregated in church. How about Because He Lives? Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. How about Christ arose? Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. Waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. And the other one that comes to my mind is he lives. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. Rejoice, rejoice, O oh Christian. Lift up your voice in saying eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. Oh, people, I wonder how it must break the heart of God to see his people who have been delivered from darkness to light, from blindness to sight, from weeping to laughter, from bondage to sin to the liberty in Christ, walking around in defeat and in shame and and like our team is losing. Let's celebrate with goodness and glory and majesty of God. Let's celebrate today the risen Savior. He's not in the tomb. He's risen. Let's be like the women there in verse eight of our text this morning. It says they hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. So I want to wrap this sermon up today. And I want to ask that we just not walk up to the tomb of Jesus and weep of his death. But whether we rejoice to know that he is alive and well. You know, often we, we run into people who are looking for God among the dead. They study the Bible. It's like a mere historical document. And they go to church as if to a memorial service. But Jesus is not among the dead. He lives. He reigns in the hearts of Christians, and he is the head of the church. So I ask you this question. Do you look for Jesus among the, the living? Do you expect him to be active in the world and in the church? Look for signs of his power because they are all around you. I hope this Easter Sunday finds you truly blessed. And finds you clinging to your faith and trusting in the Lord because he is alive and he is well and he is still in control. You know, I encourage you today to just hang on to the fact that he is alive, that he is risen, and he's going to take care of us through all of this craziness that's going on right now. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you so much for your son that you sent to die that horrible death on the cross. But, Father, we come today rejoicing in the fact that he is alive and well, because the Bible tells us that he is risen. Father, I just ask that you protect each and every one of us, that you guide us and direct us, that you just help us to keep our guard up, Father, not become complacent, Father, to deal with this situation, this coronavirus, as best we can. And just help us to stay safe and stay healthy. Father, I just lift up all the people that are suffering from this awful disease. And I lift up those people that are on the front line, the doctors and the nurses and the EMT workers and all the rest that are involved. Father, just guide us and direct us. Go with us each day, Father. Just keep us safe and just forgive us where we fail thee. Father, I thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, all the blessings that you give us, Father. And I just pray that you'll watch over each one of us as we struggle along during this challenging time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.